<laughs> but it should be a cereal postpartum <laughs> with placenta flavored crisps. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the next 10,000 hours, your peek under the skirt, behind the scenes at a small but growing media studio and two people who have reached the stage of expertise where they realize that being an expert means basically that you're aware of how much you still suck. I'm J. Daniel Sawyer. And I'm Kitty Nickian. Today we'll be talking about what happens when you achieve your goals. Um, this is occasioned by our recent successfully funded Kickstarter campaign. Thank you in part to many of you fine people, as well as a whole bunch of other really cool people in the world. We have hit the $7,000 goal that will allow us to produce the full cast audio version of Gail Carragher's Crudrat. Woo! And we've put up stretch goals because there's a whole bunch of other cool stuff we can do with Crudrat and the related universe that we're hoping we will get to do as well. But... When that $7,000 mark came around, were we happy? Briefly. Were we ecstatic? Briefly. And then what were we? Miserable and dead. Um, and it occurred to Ill. us... Ill. <laughs> Ill, we both we got... Both got si we both got physically sick for about a day and a half. Oh, by the way, for those of you that haven't heard the last two episodes or are perhaps... Um, hard of hearing we do tend to swear a lot and say things that you wouldn't want your young children to hear so don't listen to this podcast while you're taking them to school listen to it after you drop them off and are celebrating the fact that you can say fuck without having to worry about censoring yourself or you know whatever your preferred obscenity is so anyway yes we were depressed we were miserable and there is a reason for this um, there's that wonderful line in Hudson Hawk. Happiness comes from the achieving of goals. Which is bullshit. Happiness comes from the pursuing of goals. Depression comes from the achieving of goals. Goals. Goals are fabulous. I am very goal-oriented. This is not my sexual orientation. This is just my other things in life orientation. Other than kittens. Not to say, well, <laughs> what am I trying to say? I am goal-oriented. I like achieving goals, for the most part. <laughs> right up until you do it. Right up until I do it, because then you're like, um, wow, there went my meaning in life. I am all about achieving this goal. I have this goal. Now what? College was like this. I finished college. I graduated from college. First one in my family. And then I was like, what do I do with my life? Was I going to college for a purpose? No, I was just going to go to college. And you weren't involved in marine biology, so you weren't even going to college for a dolphin. Stop that joke right now. <laughs> that joke is no longer allowed. <laughs> I love getting that reaction from you. That joke is like <laughs> the vegetarian zombies joke. <laughs> Just done. Grains. Done. Grains. <laughs> You've heard about the desert zombie. Rains. <laughs> You'll, <ra> <laughs> if 
you out there who are in any sort of project-oriented profession, and there are some of us, let's face it, who cannot exist without projects, like me. I'm one of those people who every time I get a job, I rearrange the entire work force. The, I rearrange the entire company around me so that my position is no longer necessary. And it's not because I don't like to work. It's because otherwise I get terribly bored doing the same thing over and over and over. This is why I've been a freelancer for the last 15 years, <laughs> because I can organize myself to the end of a project all I want, and then I just have to find another project. But if you're a project-oriented person, particularly early on, you're going to get slapped upside the head with this terrible, awful, debilitating... Fish. Fish! <laughs> Fish? <laughs> Says, Life is not a Monty Python sketch, you deranged human. Why not? It'd be much more sensible that way. <laughs> this is going to be the worst episode ever. <laughs> We're the best. Well, there is that. <laughs> so anyway, it's like you go to the moon, right? You spend a decade trying desperately to get to the moon to honor the memory of a dead president. You get to the moon, you go out, you take one giant leap for mankind, you hop around like a bunny rabbit, you take a lot of really cool pictures, and then you go into the lunar module to sleep at night, and you sit there and you think, you don't think, wow, I made it, you think, oh shit, now what? <laughs> now, I don't know if Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong thought that, but that's exactly what my reaction would be, because I'm like, if I don't have something to do... I either need something I'm actively doing or something I'm avoiding. Because if I don't have either of those things, I get really, really bored. Just and, avoid death. Yeah, I know. Death is going to be so boring. Yeah. See, if I was dead, I would be like the ghost of Beethoven, who sits in the mausoleum night after night, aggressively erasing sheets of music. What the hell are you talking about? He's decomposing. <laughs> <laughs> See what I have to live with? He's this... like this all the time. I'm worse right now because I am now out of the postpartum depression and into the next stage. We had 48 hours where we both went, yay! And now we're like, repeatedly, yay! And now we're both like, oh, we got the next thing. And tonight we're recording a podcast and we're making a whole new movie. And a whole bunch of other stuff that we have to do between now and bedtime. Which is going to be lots of fun. Because there's purpose in the universe again. Yeah. So anyway. Goals. Right. So goals are important. I don't know how you've figured out how to deal with this. Because I know you've been going through this cycle yourself as, often, as long as I have. Or maybe longer because you're like old and stuff. <laughs> Ow. My solution is that I generally keep three or four different projects juggling in the air all the time. For all of you who are always wondering, how do you get so much done? The reason is that I've got two speeds. I've got, I'm so depressed I can't even concentrate on Star Trek reruns. And I've got, holy shit, we're going to conquer the world. We've got to do 85 things in the next half an hour or we'll all die. I don't really have much of a middle ground. You sound bipolar. <laughs> I'm not bipolar. I'm just... Uh, I've got a two-speed transmission. 
So you're a motorcycle. No, that's a two-cycle engine. <laughs> that's a bit different. Ow! But I, I first ran across this when I was uh, 14. I was homesick with strep throat. And so I read The Pillars of the Earth, which is this big, thick, 1,000-page epic historical novel, in three days. And it was brilliant. It took me all the way through the illness, and I actually took, like, an extra day off of school, pretending to be sick so I could finish the book. And I finished the book, and then I was really, really, really down for a few days, because it was like, all of these people I had made friends with, they were all now dead... And the purpose of my life, which was living this amazing story, it was all gone. And I couldn't even start at the beginning because I knew all of what happened and it would be a completely different experience. So I was just like wandering around like a zombie at school for the next two days until someone explained to me what was going on. And I was like, oh, and so I picked up another book, had another project to do, got back to writing the book that I'd been writing since third grade, and I was better. When did you first run into postpartum depression? Creative postpartum depression, not like child having postpartum depression. I never had anyone actually explain this concept to me when I was young. I kind of dealt with this this after something is finished, you get depressed and the world is is ending for you and and, and you are lost and, and melancholy and have no purpose by just kind of avoiding ending things. So I just didn't finish projects unless I absolutely had to. This is why they call them deadlines, because afterwards you get suicidal. I didn't have this problem at all until I was finishing my uh, degree. I had lived my entire 20-year existence for the purpose of completing college, because finishing college was the thing that unlocked all the the doors of of heaven and earth and got you glory and and honors and riches and it turned out i didn't really know what i wanted to do other than finish college and i took so long to recover from that and was so filled with doubts about my ability to set a goal and complete it and have a life that i just stopped finishing things for a long time i thought there was just something wrong with me, that I was pathologically afraid of success, or that I was cursed not to be able to succeed. It, it, it might happen to normals as well. I don't know. When I noticed that the other creative people in my life tended to hit a kind of a slump right after finishing a project, um, might be smaller for some people or for some projects, but there was always a kind of a letdown after doing something big and important. And I realized that it was normal, at least for other people who are creative and who invest parts of themselves into something. Maybe that's what happens to parents when their kids leave the nest. Realizing it was normal and that I could reliably anticipate it helped me a great deal just because I knew that it was coming. I knew this was normal, I knew I wasn't crazy, and I could relax in the letdown and know that I'd be okay the next day. Treat it more like a recharge period. Yeah, yeah. It was like, uh, oh, finish something. Oh, I got that tired thing going. I'll just sleep or watch a silly movie. You are so much saner than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's our talk on creative postpartum depression and so if you are a creative person if you are working on any kind of project 
either alone or with a partner or with a team. Once you're done, you will feel a slight bit of a letdown. It's normal. Get on with it. <laughs> to the next thing. And this is why when people tweet, I have just finished, blah, like, my first novel, or, you know, my first film, my standard reply is to tweet back, excellent, congratulations, rah now go do it again. Because once you're a creative person, you're doomed. And the only way to survive that doom is to embrace the doom and make it your own. So creativity is a bit like an addiction. Oh god, I hope so. If it's not, then I've got something else really wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess it's time for the reading, huh? Go read. So, for today's reading, I will be reading my book, Ideas, Inc. SFX Magazine loved this book. They said it was creepy and delightfully funny and... Far too long? Actually, they said it was a little bit too short, but... Either way, they really liked it, and hopefully you will too, because it is easily the most insane thing I ever wrote. This is one of those books where you start writing it, and it gets weird, and you keep writing it, not necessarily because you want to see how it ends, but because you can't believe that it could possibly get any weirder. And it does. And it does. So, don't, don't, don't. here you go, available in paperback and ebook everywhere, Ideas Incorporated, by me. <laughs> Chapter 1. Stranded. Take it from me. Don't start a road trip after midnight in a strange state in a car that you've never driven before. We did, and we wound up with two flat tires at once in a car that wasn't carrying a good spare at about 4 a.m. outside of some place called Schenectady in New York because I ran over a bundle of tax strips that had fallen off some carpet installer's truck. I swear to God, anyone who uses the words run flat in my presence is going to get a knuckle sandwich. That was bad enough. Worse, this was after not talking to each other for the better part of four days, including the whole plane ride out here owing to the fact that he's a royal jerk. Four days solid in the company of my best friend and we hadn't said a word to each other. Actually, the only reason we came out here together is the tickets were non-refundable and we each had skin in the car and we didn't trust each other to protect our investment. We? Uh, that would be me and Lenny. You see, we've been trying since junior high to come up with a business idea that wouldn't send us to bankruptcy court or jail. Both of us love to work, but neither of us loves working for the man, or the woman, or the cause, or anything else that might give us a regular paycheck. We tried for a while to be rock stars, and it probably would have been great if either of us could carry a tune or sing on beat. Now we were stuck outside some rat hole in the middle of nowhere in particular with only a quarter charge on each phone. We'd both been running them close to dry listening to music on our headphones in order to avoid talking to each other. And no reception anyway. That, and I realized I'd left my AAA card at home on my dresser all the way back in Santa Cruz. Oh, this is just great, Caleb. What are you going to do for an encore? Roast my cat? That's Lenny. From the way he was talking, you'd think it was his car. Not that it was my car either, but really... Shut up! Just shut up, okay? I would have seen the strips if you hadn't been singing so loud and... Oh no, don't you go laying this one off on me, man. Well, it wasn't exactly friendly, but at least we were talking. Four days wishing he'd say something. Now I couldn't wait for him to shut up. Wasn't gonna happen, though, so I did the next best thing. I got back in the car and plugged my phone into the car charger and thumped it until it woke up. Not that I knew who to call, but I figured I might be able to find an all-night garage. I mean, we weren't that far out in the middle of nowhere. I swear to God, this is the last time I ever listened to my sister. This was all her fault anyway. 
You know that thing you hear about middle America, how it's all small towns and apple pie and people just trying to make their way? Or the other thing you hear about how it's all yokels and rape hobbyists in flyover states with room temperature IQ? Well, last week Lenny and I got into a little debate about it. I had the superior argument, since I actually have an aunt in Illinois, while his family are stuck in Monterey being all coastal with their Korean barbecue joint right there on the beach. He figured that he had the superior argument on account of my personal connection to tornado country constituting a personal bias that was eroding my ability to formulate a valid argument. We got into arguments like that a lot, usually late at night after we'd run out of movies to watch or homework to avoid or girls to investigate. By the time we woke up the next morning, we forgot about it. No harm, no foul. This one was different. Next morning, he wouldn't let it go. Kept making snide little comments about my aunt being a fundamentalist and a red stater and everything. So naturally, I started calling him a small-minded elitist and a provincial and bourgeois and other things that I picked up in our political science class that I knew would make him see red. By the end of the week, he was looking for another roommate, and that was just peachy with me. I didn't want to be living with someone that prejudiced, and I sure didn't want one as a friend, and I didn't care we'd been best buddies since we were six. Lenny was mud to me, or worse than mud. He was that slime you dredge off the bottom of the marsh in Pescadero if you want some top-rate fertilizer for your vegetable garden. Not that I'd ever do that to a protected wetland, mind you, I'm just saying. So when my sister Elise came by that evening to help me with my vector analysis homework and saw Lenny's stuff in boxes, she got all nosy. Man, did she get nosy. She refused to check my work on the next set of equations until I made with the explanations, so I told her. I gave her the real story, too, not that slanted version Lenny would give her later. Uh-huh, she said with her eyebrow cocked at me like it could slice off my nose by remote control if she brought it down fast enough. And you're going to end a 12-year friendship over that. She picked up my homework and squinted at it. Well, at least now I know why you need my help with this stuff. You're too dumb to do it on your own. I can't say I was convinced, even after she implied that my allegedly low intelligence was due to a secret predilection for implausible Freudian romances. She was only two years older than me and almost eight inches shorter, but when she pulled the older sister routine like that, I always wound up sitting in the corner with an imaginary dunce cap on my head. And when Lenny got home, things went from annoying to unbearable, and I took off for a high-speed drive along the coast to cool off. Maybe Elise would have given up and Lenny would have gone to his room by the time I got back. No such luck, though. They were both sitting in the living room as if they were perfectly civilized people, which, as far as I can tell, is a classic camouflage for ambush predators. Lenny even had one of those tiger grins, the kind that serial killers in movies get when they're holding a machete behind their back. So I almost turned around and drove the 200 miles to my parents' house for the weekend. I didn't, though. Lenny was a jerk, and I was already feeling stupid for not spotting it back in the third grade when he figured out how to trick the teacher into eating X-lax. I was sure as hell not going to let a jerk like that drive me out of my own apartment. Okay, technically the school owned the apartment, but that wasn't the point. The point is there was only one thing to do in a situation like that, and I did it. I walked in and pretended that everything was perfectly okay. I hung my coat up on the peg behind the door. I went to the kitchen and got a glass of water, then walked by them into my room as if they were on a date rather than waiting for me. They did not see it that way, though. They snuck into my room like a pair of wolverines and laid this big idea on me. Well, Elise laid this big idea on me. Lenny didn't say a thing because, like I said, Lenny's a big fat jerk who wanted to add uses big sisters to bully best friends to his jerkiness resume. 
Elise gave us this long spiel about how we were both dumbasses and how we had this trip coming up this weekend because we were going to pick up this car. Gorgeous BMW convertible that we got for a song on eBay. We'd had it checked out and it was all cherry, but sold for way less on the East Coast than we could get for it in San Jose, so we were going to go get it and then load it on a train and bring it home. We figured that we could clear over a thousand in profit on the deal, even figuring in all the travel. Problem was, we were supposed to pick up this car together and drive it down to the rail yards in New Jersey and ride back with it. What you two need to do is drive that car back. Stop in every state, spend a day or two. You're both wanting to be scientists, right? So go settle it scientifically. Our obvious lack of interest didn't seem to make a difference. Elise had made her mind up, and as far as she was concerned, she was the responsible adult in the situation. She also knew where all the bodies were buried. Okay, so the bodies were the bodies of my mother's camellia bushes, but if she ever found out we were the ones that accidentally set it on fire, our lives were officially over. So that's how I wound up, in the middle of nowhere, near a town with a name nobody could pronounce, with a car I couldn't drive, and a best friend whose first words to me in four days had me ready to punch him in the nose. But no, you just keep driving right over them. Boom! You know what, dude? You got the brains of a goddamn sea urchin. Yeah, and your mom! We went on like that for another couple minutes, circling the car and keeping it dead between us, the way you do when you're trying to chase someone you want to kill, but trying to keep them from catching you for the same reason. We kept it up till we'd gotten all the way down to I'm rubber and you're glue, at which point we just kind of gave up and slumped against opposite corners of the car. In all that time, we hadn't so much as seen a distant headlight. I nursed my depression for a solid five minutes and planned on doing it for the rest of the night when Lenny screwed it up by cursing from his corner of the car. Damn gadgets. Hey, Caleb, dude, how long until sunrise? I can't get a signal on this thing. I shrugged. I don't know if he could see it, since I had my back turned to him. Hell if I know, man. Hours, maybe. So what are we gonna do? Are you kidding, man? I got no idea, okay? I mean... A distant voice interrupted with an echoing, Excuse me! What the? Excuse me, sir! I stood up and looked around for the source of the voice. Sir? Excuse me? It was coming from the berm on the other side of the car from me. I was sitting at the back corner facing into what would have been traffic if I weren't in the middle of nowhere. A harried man in a business suit skidded down the embankment, found his footing, and walked quickly to me. Uh, hi. As relieved as I felt to see another human being, it took me a couple seconds to remember why I wanted to see one in the first place, so before I could formulate a follow-up sentence, he was on top of me with the handshakes. Oh, excellent, excellent, I'm so glad I caught you. Curtis Blassingame, pleased to meet you. Uh, yeah, I'm Caleb, and this is... Fine, fine, good, yes, yes. I couldn't help but overhear what you said. He handed me a business card. And I think I may be able to help. If you'll just follow me up here, he pointed back at the berm, we can go to my office and you can get what you need. If you'll follow me, I looked at his card. Curtis Blassingame, Senior Accounts Representative, Ideas, Inc. You have a phone in there? What? Yes, yes, of course. Please, come with me. I looked to Lenny, who rolled his eyes, shook his head, and shrugged. Jerk. Okay, you stay here, I said. I'm going to see about the phone. Fine, he said, and kicked the ground, sending a stone skittering down the road. Well, screw him anyway. I followed Mr. Blassingame up the hill, which wasn't exactly easy work in the northern New York summer night air. Out in Santa Cruz, we keep the humidity in saunas and let the ocean air condition the outdoors. In New York, they like saunas so much that they just turn the whole outside into one for a big part of the year, then put air conditioners indoors so they can take the occasional break. It's no wonder they've got those ginormous buildings. Who'd want to go outside in the summer when it feels like a steam bath? 
Anyway, I'm no slouch in real mountains, but by the time I got to the top of the berm, I was ready to give up and find a comfortable coffin. I know, son, I know, said Mr. Blassingame. It'll be better when we get into the office. <sighs> and how much farther is that? I asked between breaths, my attention on my feet. Why, it's right there. See? I looked up to see an expansive, boring-looking warehouse in the middle of an equally expansive, boring-looking parking lot. A few cars broke up the monotony, but it was definitely a graveyard shift crowd. We stumbled down the berm, only half as high as it was on the highway side, and set off across the parking lot. There weren't any cars nearby here, and that didn't seem right. Uh, Mr. Blassingame? Curtis, please, yes, Curtis. I'm just an account rep, after all, not a manager. Really, we're not all that stuffy. He grimaced and waved his hand in front of him. If you ignore the weather. Okay. I regrouped, then tried again after a dozen paces. Curtis, you said you heard us? Yes. How? I mean, I don't see your car over here. Were you out taking a walk? Oh, that, that. Don't worry about that, my good man. It's just my business. My job, you understand. Just doing my job. Ah, here we are. Blassingame opened the front door of the warehouse with a sweep of his arm. Please, come in, come in. I went in, found a nearly barren reception area without a receptionist at the desk, and a big Ideas Inc. logo behind it, and under the logo the tagline, The Writer's Best Friend, whatever that meant. I had to wait while Blassingame puttered in after me, then circled around to the receptionist's side of the desk. Now, how can I help you? And that's Ideas Incorporated, the first half of the first chapter, and, um... If you want to read the rest, you can find it on Amazon or a signed paperback copy at www.jdsawyer.net. And that brings us to the best part of our show. The part that you've all been waiting for, where the tricklings of insanity rain down from the brilliant comedic mind and the curly hair of Kitty Nikian in Kitty's Corner. Welcome to Kitty's Corner. It's October. There are signs of autumn everywhere. Cooler weather, at least so I've heard, doesn't quite apply over here. Shorter days, leaves changing color, Halloween decorations. I mean, finally, the first Christmas decorations are out just after Labor Day. What the hell is that? Christmas is one holiday that needs a cock ring. It always comes too early. And earlier every year. Anyways, back to October. Halloween decorations. And pumpkins. Pumpkins everywhere. Jack-o'-lanterns. Sugar pie pumpkins. And those weird bumpy heirloom pumpkins that you just don't know whether you're supposed to eat it, or sit it on the doorstep, or give it acne treatment. And pumpkin spice lattes. Mmm, coffee. Wait, wrong episode. And not just pumpkin spice lattes, but pumpkin spice and pumpkin everything else. Pumpkin muffins, pumpkin cheesecake, pumpkin biscotti, pumpkin fake Pop-Tarts, pumpkin ale. Mmm, I need a pumpkin ale. Dan, go get me a pumpkin ale. I was at the store a couple weeks ago, buying pumpkin muffin mix and pumpkin puree, and remarking on the wide selection of pumpkin-flavored goods. The clerk said, Oh, we got a case of pumpkin body butter. I thought he was joking. 
he wasn't joking. There are two kinds of people in the fall. People who wait in breathless anticipation for pumpkin season, so they can have their pumpkin spice everythings. And the people who shout, Why? Why is there pumpkin everything? Wasn't the pie enough? Ah! Me? Well, in the last two weeks, I've made pumpkin muffins from a box, pumpkin oatmeal muffins from pumpkin puree, attempted to make pumpkin pancakes that eventually turned into pumpkin donuts. Which were brilliant! Apparently those were successful. I've been drinking pumpkin spice coffee, not that sweetened syrupy latte stuff, but coffee with ground pumpkin spices. And I'm drinking a pumpkin ale as we speak. Oh, and I just roasted an acorn squash and squash seeds. Not quite the same as a pumpkin, but still delicious. So that's me. Yep, I'm obsessed with pumpkin. So I guess this means I'm one of those that's getting ready to audition for the part of the Headless Horseman. This has been Kitty's Corner. If you don't feel cornered by a cat, I'm clearly not doing my job. Meow. Well, that's going to about wrap it up for this week. We have more production to do. God, we haven't been in this much production in like three years. Five different projects going at the same time, and all of them with stringent deadlines, with scheduled windows of post-project depression so that we don't get thrown off. (laughs) And this much insanity. Next week, there'll be episode four of Free Will. Be sure to tune in for that. Lots of cool stuff happens. Credrat Kickstarter is still going strong. There are really cool stretch goals, and if you haven't checked it out because you weren't sure we were going to fund, we have funded. Check it out now because there's even more cool stuff to do. And now you know you'll get your things. So until next time, two weeks from now, this has been the next 10,000 hours. I'm J. Daniel Sawyer. And I may or may not be Kitty Nikian. Saying... Pelt your enemies with lemons. The bright colors will distract them. <laughs> See you later. The next 10,000 hours is a production of Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California and features Por Una Cabeza, a work in the public domain arranged and performed by Danny Shade. This podcast is produced under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to the performers. 